Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello. Welcome to this week's episode of Political State from the Oklahoman. I'm Ben Felder here in the Oklahoman's news studios. It's our first episode since a big runoff election night here in Oklahoma. We're going to get into some of those results, including the governor's race. The general election field is now set. Also talk about some legislative candidates, incumbents that were uh, lost their job on Tuesday night, kind of what that means for politics going forward. But first, let me introduce this week's guest, which is uh, Carrie Bloomert, who was an, a runoff election night winner, winning the Democratic nomination for Oklahoma County Commissioner District 1. Uh, Carrie, congratulations on Tuesday night's win, you. and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. Well, we're, we're glad to have you. Uh, let me go ahead and introduce the, the rest of the political state crew from the Capitol, Dale Denwalt, from the federal uh, desk, uh, Justin Wingeter, and uh, Carrie. Let's talk about your race. Um, you won against uh, challenger Al McCaffrey, um, a pretty sizable win uh, for you. I- I'm kind of curious, what do you think made the difference for you in, in this seat and in- in- in getting such a big, uh, you know, big turnout of support? Yeah. So for the last year, I've spent a lot of time knocking on doors. Um, I've knocked on around 9,000 doors. And so I kind of got a feel for what people were wanting um, and what types of candidates they were supporting. And a lot of people were ready for fresh new candidates. They were ready for young people. They were ready for women. Um, and so I kind of fit all of those categories. And I think people were, were ready to support me for those reasons. Yeah, I imagine your race is probably pretty interesting because a lot of people you know, are, are focused a lot on the governor. Yeah. Uh, maybe some other high-profile seat. How many people had asked you about what a county commissioner is? Oh, almost every day. And what was your answer? Almost every day. Um, I actually really enjoyed that question because it meant that people were starting to get engaged in more Mm -hmm. local government. Um, so we actually made a, an infographic okay. that I would show people um, of what a county commissioner does. So I would explain it uh, kind of like this. They oversee roads and bridges that are rural, so not within mm-hmm. city bounds. They oversee the whole county criminal justice system, so the juvenile justice center, yep. the jail, the county courthouse, um, diversion programs like drug court and mental health court. And then they also oversee um, funding for the library system, the city county health department, and some other social services. So they, the three county commissioners sort of act like uh, the CEO of county dollars. They appropriate all the funds, they approve any spending. Um, so it's, it's a full-time position and it's four years long. Yeah, and this was a Democratic primary. I, I imagine it's also interesting because there wasn't really, there, there, there wasn't really any high profile you know, statewide yeah. Democratic race. Uh, uh, Drew Edmondson had already run the primary and running for governor. I mean, you had a, a, a kind of an interesting maybe CD5 yeah. congressional district race. But yeah. so part of your job was probably also to encourage Democrats to, to, go, to, vote. to go vote. Yes. I'm curious from Democratic voters, what do you feel like, you know, we're talking a lot about how Democrats are going to do in November. Is yeah. there going to be a lot of, uh, you know, groundswelling support, not only here in Oklahoma, but across the nation for Democratic candidates? What were you hearing from Democratic voters? What, did you, what are they wanting to see out of their government officials? Uh, They are wanting to see transparency, Uh, so people who are very honest, very transparent with how the money is being spent. 
um, they really appreciated that I came to their door. And they oftentimes I would hear people say, you are the first person, the first candidate who has ever come to my door and asked me what I care about and, and listened to me. So they're wanting officials who are transparent, honest, and will come and talk to them. Yeah. I know the, the New York Times liked this phrase, campaigning while female. And I was wondering <laughs> if you've run across any instances where you got some interesting responses or people just were maybe a little taken aback that you were even running for office. Because it's something that female candidates hear sometimes. Yeah. They, have, they get some interesting responses or questions. And you ever get any of this? I'm glad you asked that. Um, I got some very interesting reactions and responses from people, um, some pretty inappropriate questions and responses, um, especially because I'm running for a position that is traditionally seen as kind of the good old boys club. Um, you don't see a young woman running for county commissioner very often, right. if at all. Uh, so I was, to a lot of these people, I was kind of a, they didn't know how to fit me into their uh, their framework for what a politician or a candidate looks like. And I like that. I like being outside of the norm. Um, and I really had to learn how to kind of stand up for myself. And uh, there was a lot of sexist comments that I had to learn how to mm. respond to in a professional way and appropriately, but also let that person know, hey, this is not, this is not acceptable. Yeah. So that was a fine line to balance of staying professional and staying a kind candidate, but also calling stuff out when it's not appropriate. Yeah. Do I remember a tweet about how small you were, or how short you were? <laughs> that. I, yes, I've had people comment on, you look so young, you're yeah. too small to do this. Um, Is there a height you, requirement? You for look counseling? like a little girl. And yes. I've learned to just kind of laugh at those comments wow. and just say, well, I'm, I'm 31 and I've had 10 years of experience in you know, local government and nonprofit, and I think I'm, I'm ready for this. Yeah. You don't think a guy's, guy would get a, qu exactly. a question? Exactly. Like <laughs> exactly. It's, I mean, I kind of cringed a little bit when you said that you, you, you know, you, you're, you're okay with being a kind of a non-traditional candidate, but yeah. you're, you're a woman. I mean, it shouldn't be that. No, true. I, I mean, I know true. what you're saying. But That's I very mean, true. That, and, and there is still a lot of, a lot of attention on, on female candidates this year, um, and, and while we may you know wish that this was the norm, part of the attention there's been so many. Yeah, there, there's a there's a larger number of, of yeah. women running for office this year, which is part of the reason you talk about the New York Times. We're seeing that all over the country. Yeah, um, I mean, did you spend much time talking to other you know female candidates? I mean, and kind of yes. sharing perspectives. Uh, there's a lot of several Senate candidates I've become friends with. Um, Cindy, Representative Cindy Munson, mm -hmm. is one of my really good friends, and she kind of showed me the ropes. She showed me how to do it. She showed me how to knock doors. Kendra Horn is a good friend. Um, Carrie Hicks running for Senate District 40. Mm -hmm. um, so I've built relationships with a lot of other female candidates and we have, uh, we have, you know, text messages, group messages that we're on together to kind of create this little sisterhood of women yeah. running right now. Well, and so. you mentioned some, you know, those that are running some current, I mean, representatives. I mean, you know, you, you know, it's right. It has been a good old boy yeah. club. Maybe it's about to be a, I a would, good girls club. I would like to think club. so. <laughs> so. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, you know, something you mentioned, you, you've been running for the seat for a while, yeah. um, which involves, you know, getting in front of voters and knocking doors. It also involves running, or raising money. And uh, tell us a little bit, what's that like? It's your first time to run for office, yes. right? So, yes. I mean, brand new to running for office. I mean, uh, what what was that process like in trying to raise money? I imagine that's a pretty intimidating. I mean, it would be for me. That's the first thing I would worry about. Was like, yes. where, where am I going to get money to run for office? It's very intimidating. Um, it's it was very the first six to eight months, 
every time I would make a call to fundraise, it was painful. <laughs> yeah. Just because I was uncomfortable with it, um, not because people were rude to me or anything like that. Uh, so I had to build some confidence to yeah. be able to feel that I was a good candidate and I was worthy of support um, and to convey that to donors. Yeah. So it took us several months, took me several months of calls after call after call to really feel like, okay, we've, we've raised a chunk of money, we can do something with this. But it took a lot longer than I think, you know, if someone were, you know, a 50-year-old man were running and he mm -hmm. had, you know, much more well-connected network of people who had a lot more resources. Um, so when you, I think when you run in your 30s and even into your early 40s, um, and then there's some candidates in their 20s, it's just harder to raise money because your, your friends and your networks and your coworkers are not quite as established in their careers. Um, and a lot of my friends have never given to a political campaign. They, it's so brand new to them to have a friend run for office that they don't really understand why they should give. So a lot of my messaging was educating people on what their money goes toward and why it's important to give. Yeah. So. Is that just, I mean, do you just have to get used to it or did you learn any, you know, I mean, I know you probably don't want to reveal your campaign secrets <laughs> to, to potential challengers, but I mean, what, I mean, what, you know, what was it that finally allowed you to, to be somewhat comfortable with, you know, fundraising? Practice. Yeah. Just having some really bad experiences of just bombing um, and hanging up the phone and thinking that went so poorly. <laughs> Uh, and you just have to be okay with having a couple bad calls and then getting back at it and kind of tweaking your messaging and being more comfortable talking about yourself. Mm -hmm. That was what was uncomfortable for me was I did not like talking about myself. I didn't like listing my qualifications. I didn't like saying why I would be good at the job because I felt it just felt weird to me. Yeah. So but that's I've, the job. You got to sell yeah, yourself. Right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I've gotten more comfortable with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've, I've got a quick issue question for you. Yeah. You mentioned that uh, uh, as a county commissioner, you would kind of oversee what's happening at the jail. Um, what's your? Do you have a plan for the jail? Of uh, what's your what's your opinion on it now, and what do you think that the county should do? Yeah. So I talk about the jail a lot when I'm knocking on doors, um, and people ask me all the time, "Are you in favor of building a new jail?" Because the the building itself is falling apart, and it was it was not built correctly. Um, my response to that is I think we need to reform the way we run the jail before we ask taxpayers to build an, an entirely new facility. Uh, so the building is meant to hold around 1,200 inmates and currently right now it's around 1,800. Um, so it's still a little bit high. It used to be up in the like 2,200, 2,400. So they've made some improvements. They've lowered that inmate population. Um, so I'd like to see us get it down closer to 1,200. I'd like to see us get people better access to mental health court, drug court, some treatment options, um, and kind of get those in place before we look at building a new facility. So, a lot, you know, all those things, you know, require some kind of funding. Yes. I mean, do you feel like there's going to have to be some kind of strategic plan in terms of whether it's you know going to voters and asking them to approve some kind of tax increase, or, yeah. or what do you feel like that that process will look like? So when the current jail was built in the late 80s, early 90s, um, it was paid for with a, a temporary sales tax. And I've been talking with Timothy Tardibono, who's the director of the um, Criminal Justice Advisory Council, which the chamber kind of put together with several other municipalities. And so he and I have been talking a little bit about what would that look like and you know, would there be a, kind of a public education campaign? Um, so we, there's some talks about that, but nothing really set in stone. So, yeah. But yeah, it would have to be up to the voters to approve, um, to approve funding for it. Yeah. 
And a lot of what I hear on the doors is, you know, there's a long history of county commissioners being involved in corruption scandals and just mis misusing taxpayer dollars. And so people are very leery of, of handing over a lot of responsibility mm -hmm. to commissioners. Obviously, I hope to change that. Um, so that's what I hear a lot when I'm knocking doors. Yeah, yeah. I imagine you'll continue to hear about that as, yeah. uh, over the next couple months. You do have a general election yes. uh, taking on the Republican nominee, uh, Brad Reeves. So, well, let's transition to a good old boy network club <laughs> if we can. And it's a race for governor, not the current governor. We have a female governor, Governor Mary Fallon. But the race for governor, the general election field is set. Uh, the two uh, prominent candidates for the Democrats, Republicans, Drew Edmondson, who we knew had won the primary in June, but Kevin Stitt winning on, on Tuesday night. Um, Kevin Stitt was quick to get the endorsement of President Donald Trump. Not a surprise there, but maybe what is a surprise is, at least as of this taping, I don't believe he's gotten the endorsement from uh, his challenger, Mick Cornett. Uh, what, do, what do we read into that, you think? I uh, haven't heard anything about it. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if it takes um, a lot of... Uh, uh, maybe massaging from Kevin Stitt to get uh, Mayor Cornett's uh, recommendation. Uh, he may not even do it because they they're they're so uh, they're so far apart. We, we saw Mick Cornett uh, run to the right uh, during the primary campaign. Um, uh, I think maybe a little bit farther than than he actually feels personally. Um, but uh, I, I think that Kevin Stitt would have to make maybe some promises to to Mayor Cornett uh, about policy positions that he would move forward on uh, before he would get his endorsement. Yeah, I mean, even Mike Hunter got his challenger's endorsement after that, such a, you know, contentious <laughs> yeah, campaign. Yeah. Within hours he got the endorsement. Um, and I don't think, I don't, I don't think any of us are predicting that uh, Cornette is going to go to supporting Edmondson. Um, but it just, I, I think, you know, it was a, a hotly contested runoff, and obviously, you know, the, the, the supporters of your of your challenger can be important to get. Right. Um, I'm curious. I mean, I know you don't necessarily speak for the Edmondson campaign, but as a Democrat, who I'm imagining is a supporter of Edmondson uh, come November, was there between Cornette and Stitt, who were you hoping would win from a perspective of you think might be the the, the better opponent for Edmondson to take on? I was polling for Cornette. Um, I've met him several times. I have a lot of respect for him. We don't necessarily always agree on everything, but I felt that I, I preferred that he um, were to be the winner. Um, a lot of people said that, oh, if, if, if Cornette wins, Edmondson doesn't have as good of a chance. Um, but I kind of I kind of disagreed with that. I like both Edmondson and Cornette, um, mm -hmm. but I will be voting for Edmondson. So, so. did you think? But so you do you, you think Edmondson may have had a better chance against Cornette, or you just you, you think it just would have been just kind of different situations? I well, I think Stitt is a little bit more of a simply because he got the uh, I'm sorry he got the endorsement from Trump. He's a little bit more of a fiery, divisive candidate than than maybe Cornette. Um, which I think might push people over to vote for Edmondson. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I would be curious to see polling now that it's that's it's Stitt and Edmondson. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, is that, I mean, how important? I, mean, I, I want to mention the endorsement again, just because you know it's always interesting. If, you know, the president, his, his Twitter feed is one of the most closely watched things in the world, and you know he mentions Oklahoma. We obviously take notice. I mean, he probably would have. I mean, he would have endorsed Cornette, obviously. I, I I don't know. I wonder if the Trump if Trump even knows who Kevin Stitt is. But that's, his, his endorsement was a copy. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, his endorsement was copy and pasted from previous endorsements uh, yeah. about other other winners. So well, who knows how closely he is uh, with? Although I did read on Twitter that um, uh, apparently uh, uh, Stitt got a call from President Trump. Who that's said that he, that's if true. he was in the area, Chris Castile reported that. Yeah, so yeah, if he was in the area that he would be uh, stopping by. So we may see. 
President Trump in Oklahoma. Interesting. Uh, now, the the Stitt versus Edmondson question. I, I think that um, that probably Drew Edmondson was uh, a, a little bit happy that he got Stitt instead of Cornette, um, and the reason is because it's easier for Drew Edmondson to mm-hmm. uh, to say how different he is from Kevin Stitt than he would be from Mick Cornette. It's easier to run a campaign that way, to talk about your differences, right? That's how you uh, try to earn voters. You don't, you don't earn voters by saying, me and the candidate I'm running against are exactly the same, or we have these same qualities. You say, this is how we're different. And, uh, and I think the Edmondson camp probably is uh, uh, maybe a little bit more relieved that it's going to be stiff because you can draw a clear dividing line yeah. between issues uh, between those two. Yeah, yeah. And because, I mean, Cornette could appeal to some Democrats, like yeah. Kerry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's a, yeah. that's a compliment yeah. to the former mayor. Um, but that would peel off, it could peel off some votes from Edmondson or just some independence in the middle there. It, as Dale points out, it's a lot easier to draw a hard line and hopefully Edmondson... He's hoping that he can pull in some independence. Yeah, and we saw some national democratic organizations quickly, you know, rebuke Stitt and really trying to connect him to Governor Mary Fallon, who's, who's right now is, is not too popular with voters. It, they probably would have said the same thing about Cornette. I think it would have been harder to connect Cornette to to Fallon. I still wonder if it's a little bit of a stretch with Stitt. I mean, I think Stitt and Fallon would probably agree on the vast majority of things. But even Stitt has has, has pretty much you know spoken harshly about you know the last eight years and, and the need for change. But I think that would have been a much tougher thing to do if you're a Democrat against Cornette, right? To try to connect him to Fallon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, if this is an albatross around Stitt's neck, it's going to fly away. Because you know he he hasn't worked with Mary Fallon. He's never been in the Fallon government. He's never been in government at all. Um, there may be some uh, similar issues you could you could tie them to. You could try all day to say that he's uh, going to be another Mary Fallon. Um, you've got to really you know dig down and find those issues where where they would agree on some things and try to convince voters yeah. uh, that they'd be the same. Uh, it's going to be hard. He can honestly say, "I never voted for him." Ro- voted for her, right? Yeah. I don't think he's voted. Carrie. When you look at Edmondson, where do you feel like if if, if he's going to pull off, uh, a, which would be a huge upset. I mean, yeah. if, he, if he, I think it's going to be closer than people think, but it would be a, a monumental upset for a Democrat to win Oklahoma. If he's going to do that, what's his path, do you think? I think calling on that teacher walkout. I mean, he was there every day. He was the only, he's the only candidate that really supported the teacher walkout. And as we saw all those incumbents lose on Tuesday, because they didn't vote for the tax increase to pay for for teacher salary raises. Um, So I think that really is his sweet spot, um, is really using that teacher walkout to his advantage in in a good way. Yeah, and continue to talk about education, and he's continuing to talk about um, increasing taxes further. I wonder, though, that battle, you know, with the gross production tax, um, I mean, that's, that's... that's a competitive uh, arena to, do, to battle in in this state. If you're a candidate that's going to talk about raising the gross production tax to 7%, he's going to draw a lot of wealthy yeah. opposition on that, right? Yeah. Well, we already saw ads during the legislative session with uh, oil companies saying that this ha- how bad it's going to hurt uh, Oklahoma workers. And you're talking about um, if, you, if you raise it to 7%, you can, you can start counting commas in the number you're going to put on a TV screen to say this is how much you know, they're raising taxes on average Oklahomans. So uh, uh, expect to see a lot of uh, oil and gas money be, being pumped into this against your Edmonds yeah. for that very reason. 
pumped into it. I see what you did there. Yeah. Edmonton, has to, Edmonton has to focus on how you'd spend the money, though. If he's talking about education, keeping teachers here, improving education, I mean, just how that, where that money would go, I think he can get some, some leeway on there, and voters will go with him for a while. Uh, but because, yeah, he's going to face opposition, opposition from the other side, from an anti-tax side. But, yeah. So he needs to keep the conversation on where that money would go mm-hmm. and why we need it. Yeah. You, you know, if you talk to some of, the, some of the incumbents who lost their jobs that didn't vote for the tax increase, some of them would have told you that, hey, the economy's getting better. We didn't need this tax increase in order to fund these teacher pay raises. So I, that, that may be one argument against Edmondson. If you're stiff, though, can you argue that the economy is getting better? I mean, don't you? I mean, you can't. Your, his campaign is, 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 as an outsider has been, you know, things have been mismanaged, things are going in the wrong direction, I'm the guy that can change that. How, how easy would it be for him to start saying, like, listen, we don't need these tax increases because the economy is getting better. And it's, you know. he, he's talking about how bad the government is, mm. not the economy. Yeah. You know, he, he's, he's been benefited from uh, the, the good economy uh, nationwide. Um, uh, and he can talk about, you know, how Oklahoma is doing. Oklahoma is getting better. Um, on the economy front, but there are still things that he could point to in the state government and how state government is run um, that could fill uh, TV ads from here to November. Yeah, uh, Carrie, you mentioned education as being a big thing. I'm curious: is there, uh, you know, is there, an, is there another thing that you feel like Edmonton is, is well positioned to really, you know, make a major part of his platform, you know, going forward? Because I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, education. I mean, after the walkouts, a lot of people talked about. You know, this is going to be a big deal in November. You know, several months later is, is a long time as an eternity yeah. in politics. So, you, yeah. you know, people still seem to be pretty yeah. energized. Yeah. But I'm curious, is there another area that he has to maybe plant a flag in as well? I first think of this blue wave that everyone's talking mm-hmm. about. And I know that it's not, I don't know if I would describe it as a wave in Oklahoma, um, just because we are such a red state. Um, but I think there's a lot of momentum uh, to elect people that are different than Trump. However, we still have a lot of Trump supporters in Oklahoma. Um, so I think kind of like what you were saying earlier with those middle, middle of the road people who might have gone for Cornette, um, who are now going to maybe go for Edmondson, I think that's also something that he could play to is, um, you know, he's, he's very different from Trump. Like you said, he can draw that strong line of I'm different from Stitt, I'm yeah. different from Trump. So. Typically Democrats in the last few cycles that are running for statewide office have, have almost had to run like independents. Yeah. And I don't know. So you can't do that if you're Edmondson and you're going to be criticizing Trump. Yeah. I mean that. I mean Trump. Ha- Trump didn't. I mean he didn't win the primary in Oklahoma, but he has great support now because Republican. He is the leader of the Republican Party now. Yeah. A- a- attack against Trump is an attack against Republicans, and so I wonder how easy, how, how tricky it's going to be for Edmondson to try to run as this kind of I can bridge the partisan you know lines. While at the same time, is he going to speak out a lot against Trump? Because there's going to be a lot of Republicans that are just going to tune that out and say, yeah. nope, you're, you know, you're, you're just a, t- a typical Democrat in that yeah. time, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I think if you if you were to ask him about President Trump, he would tell you his opinion. Uh, he, he wouldn't pull any punches. But I don't think he's going to go out on the campaign trail and talk a lot about Washington, D.C. Uh, he's going to he's going to stick close to home. Uh, that's, that's probably the smart thing to do. Um, if you don't have to... Uh, get in the middle of national politics as a as an Oklahoma Democrat, the better off you're going to be. Did you get asked a lot about Trump or federal politics, even though it's way away from what yeah. you're hearing? Yeah, I got asked um, if I voted for him. I got asked kind of my feelings about him maybe once a week when I was knocking doors. 
Um, so not, not every not day, not even. I got asked more about this Oklahoma State, you know, what's going on in the legislature. Okay. And so sometimes I would comment and, and give my opinion, and other times I would say, well, you know, that's a little bit out of the realm of county commissioner. Mm -hmm. um, the commissioners do have some presence at the Capitol and do um, fight for certain issues there, but it's not where a majority of their time is spent. So. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's never kind of know what perspective voters are going to have when they're when they're looking at issues. Yeah, well, I, let's. Yeah, I go to congressional town halls where people get asked state questions or yeah. local questions, yeah. and so I'm always curious what where the the minds are. Well, yeah. We always it's part of our job is try to figure out yeah. what voters are thinking, and that's yeah. one of the ways we do it. Yeah. Hey, so most voters are all politicians, right? They're all in the same <laughs> the same bucket. Um, let's move on to um, some other elections on the runoff night. We saw several more um, House members lose lose their seat. Though. That's right. Six uh, Republican incumbents uh, were kicked out of office by their primary challengers uh, by the voters, and um, most of them. Um, or all of them voted against the the tax increase uh, that was uh, explicitly stated to be for teacher pay, um, and it may not have been the number one issue in their district. Uh, it, it definitely wasn't the only issue that I think voters going to the polls thought about. Uh, but the fact that all all six of the ones who lost were ones who voted against the tax increase, um, and that teachers were actively targeting those districts. Um, really says a lot about how, I guess, salient the issue is still in voters' minds, even Republicans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the best strategy to, to be, win a, a Republican runoff used to be no new taxes right. yeah. ever. And, and now it seemed like it was the, the downfall. I know you heard a lot during the, the, um, the walkout that this was not a Democratic movement. A lot of teachers told you, I'm a Republican, mm -hmm. but, you know, or something like yeah. that. And they're at least voting in the Republican primary if, if that correlation is there and I don't know how you yeah I mean I think well you know we've said this before the majority of teachers you know the 40,000 plus teachers that are in Oklahoma they reflect the state as a whole the majority of them are Republican or registered Republicans um, you know we and there were a lot that said you know I'm a registered Republican I'm gonna remember this and you know they had to be registered Republican if they were gonna exercise you know that memory in the runoff yeah. um, but a lot of them I think you know, a lot of Republicans. I don't. I don't know what the, the 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 breakdown would be, but a lot of Republicans, I think, would say like, "Well, I'm not against all new taxes." You know, it, it depends on the situation. Um, I think in the past, it was probably pretty safe to say that a lot of your core conservative voters, especially during a runoff, that would have been them. Say, never, never any new taxes. So I think what we saw on Tuesday indicates that there probably was somewhat of a of a change of demographic in the electorate, maybe some more moderate voters that came out. My question, though, is we saw on the statewide. Uh, level, the most conservative of candidates win between Stitt and Cornette, yet at the local district level, we saw the more moderate ones win, at least when you look at tax policies. Is there any, you know, what's the correlation, what's there not? I mean, what, what do we draw from that? It's just the, the past experience and different situations. Uh, and it also has to do uh, partly uh, the fact that these, uh, the ones who lost were uh, uh, member, most of them were members of the platform caucus who were uh, really a thorn in Republican leadership side um, for the last year, year or two. Uh, and there was a, um, a PAC effort, uh, kind of a, a, a dark money campaign against several, several of these candidates that uh, I, I don't think it would be a stretch to imagine that there may have been some uh, involvement from sitting Republican legislators who are in the sort of moderate ma majority. Uh, who uh, tried to get these people out of office. It's not unheard of 
for Republicans or Democrats to sort of eat their own mm -hmm. when, when they don't play along to the majority of the caucus. And just like the Democrats did uh, on several votes, the small group of Republicans um, really stymied efforts to, to come up with a, a deal um, on this tax increase and teacher pay. Yeah, and we've said it before, you know, if, if voters are, are, are looking through the lens of whether or not you supported tax increases or not, that doesn't mean we're likely to see similar efforts next year, right? I mean, I don't think we're expecting a legislature that's going to necessarily have a big appetite for increasing taxes even more so. I, mean, I guess Edmondson will be one of the tests of that. Are people going to really rally behind, you know, his, his desire to raise, raise taxes, particularly the gross production tax? And we'll, we'll see if it's sort of his number one issue that he talks about, you know. Um, do, does he make it part of his stump speech about raising taxes? Yeah. Well, uh, as we wrap up here, Carrie, I want to ask you, as, as now you're kind of focused on the general election, I mean, this is a, um, there's a Democrat in the seat now. Yes. I mean, this is, a, this is a Democrat seat. I mean, you're yes. going in as the front runner. Yeah. I think that's safe to say. Um, but, you know, you're going to be, you know, appealing, trying to appeal to Republicans yeah. as well. I mean, what's your message to, to them? I know it's, you know, the county commissioner seat is a little different than the legislature. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when you're talking about the jail and, and maybe the need to invest in some treatment programs and you get that Republican that says, like, I don't know if I should be raising taxes. What's your, I mean, what's your, gonna, what's your appeal going to be to them? What's your pitch? So someone who gets accepted into drug court um, rather than being sent to prison, uh, it's actually a lot less money, um, thousands of dollars less money to send someone to drug court rather than to prison. So that's the lens I take is there are programs in place that we can improve on and um, increase funding for those programs because ultimately it does it saves money from our prison system. So that's kind of the lens I take when I'm talking mm -hmm. to someone who says, you know, where's the money going to come from? Um, and I, I even have a graph that I've shown people of um, from Commissioner Terry White at Department of Mental Health showing how much it costs to put someone in drug court for two years or a year and how much it costs to put someone, send someone to prison. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the drug court and mental health court programs are funded through Department of Mental Health, but the commissioners um, have some say in you know, what judges oversee those and how much funding they get. And um, so that's the lens I take yeah. is that it's, Treatment is a is a lot a lot better option than um, sending someone to prison. Yeah, so. a more efficient use of uh, yeah. tax dollars yeah. on that front. Well, that's going to yeah. I mean the jail's going to be such a big issue moving forward. It has been, yes. but I feel like we're kind of. I think this year, you know, this new cycle of there's two commissioner seats up for election this year. Mine and then um, up north, Commissioner Ray Vaughn's seat is up for election. So I think it will be a huge topic uh, for the general, and then when when whoever gets elected, it will be a huge thing to work on. Yeah. Well, Carrie, congrats again on, on your uh, victory on Thank Tuesday. You. Good luck moving forward, Thank and you. thanks so much for joining us Thank you. in this episode. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Political State. Uh, you can watch or listen to each and every episode here at NewsOK.com or your favorite podcast app. We'll be back with you next Friday. Have a good Labor Day holiday with Justin Dale. And Carrie, I'm Ben. We'll see you next time.